Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm James. And welcome to the Cornwall Property Podcast, where every week we bring you the latest news, hot topics and guidance around the Cornwall property market. Stay tuned to be informed, inspired and to have any of your property-related questions answered by trusted local property professionals. Welcome back. Here we are. Episode 24, Cornwall Property Podcast. I'm Dan. I'm James. And we're here to inform, educate, inspire <clears throat> you guys to get involved with property with a particular emphasis on the Cornwall property market. So this is episode 24. This is Ask Dan and James. This is your opportunity to get in touch with us and ask us some questions. Mm-hmm. James, how do they do that? So they can easily get in contact with us on our social media platforms and they can also go to cornwallpropertypodcast.com or send us an email on hello at cornwallpropertypodcast.com. Anyway, you want to reach out to us, just keep them coming. We will pick them up and uh, endeavour to answer them. Excellent stuff. So let's get cracking, James. Here we go. So question one is from Luke in Chasewater. Uh, love your content, guys. Pleased to hear it and please keep it coming. We certainly will. As I understand, from watching your impressive Mevagizzi development tour and question and answers episodes that you are both still buying property in the current climate, are you not worried about an imminent market crash after such growth of late? Good question, Luke. Yeah, and thank you for for, for watching and, and your, your comments on our Mevagizzi episodes as well. Um, yeah, really pleased with that place. Um, Interesting one that is, Luke, and I think this is a common question I'm generally asking about you, James. But the amount mm. of people that ask me, "Crikey, you're still buying? It's going to crash in a minute, surely? What? You're not worried?" Um, no, if I'm honest, I'm not too worried. And to answer the and give you a bit of context as to why I'm not so worried is, I believe in um, a guy called Frank Harrison, and he is a chap who did um, property market econ. He's a, a property market economist back in the day, and he studied the property market and the property house prices dating back to the 1950s. And he has studied the the, the housing market and the, the cycle. And he says that it's a, it's a repeat cycle of house prices growth in terms of it rises, it falls, it rises, it falls. And he summarizes it as an 18-year <clears throat> general cycle. Now, we've referenced this and mentioned this a couple of times in the past. And maybe we do a podcast on this in the future, James, but I know we've always touched on it. But to give you an idea, um, and looking at that cycle, and it's, it's actually been in the news as well. People have mentioned it this week, uh, in the last few weeks. So I'm no surprises that a lot of people are asking about this as well. But the general cycle is it's an 18-year average. And in, within that 18 years, you've got peaks, you've got troughs, you've got ups and downs throughout. But generally, when you get to the very, very high, that is when you fall. But you've got to know it's an average. You can't guarantee it's going to happen every 18 years. It might be 15 years. It might be 18 years. It might be 20 years. But on average, 18 years is when you'll see the net, a price crash proper price crash with property. So when you start looking at the figures, it's scarily how this one's actually playing out. Quite well, similar, very similar to the last few cycles. So when you're looking at it, generally before a crash, you've got three, four solid years of double-figure growth in the property market. Now we've just, as everyone is fully aware, we've just had a double-figure year of growth in the property market. So if and like I do, and I, I know James does as well, we, we're true believers on the 18-year property cycle. That, With that theory in mind, we've still got a good couple of years of solid growth. Now, the reason why we generally have crashes in the market are people get confident with the market. And the minute still people, like this question uh, illustrates, Luke, is people are still quite wary of the market, a bit concerned, a bit worried. Oh, is it going to happen? Because that is still there, 
and the lenders are still in that kind of mindset as well. There's still strict regulations and strict um, risk assessments that they do, lending uh, criteria that you have to follow and adhere to in order to get lending. It makes it harder for you to to, to purchase or, or to get overborrowed as such and over leveraged. So because these are still in play, it makes it harder for this crash to potentially play out. So as we start getting another year of double growth, double digit growth, and a following year of double digit growth, obviously people start to get really confident and a bit too comfortable i suppose with with property and then the lending requirements start to get a bit slack as such they're not so stringent on the requirements because everyone's quite confident with it and it's at that point then we start to maybe see that the crash becomes imminent so if you start to play all these numbers out and again look this up google it search it the 18 year property cycle there's some really good write-ups and it's a good video um infographics as well about it and I know it's for those who are also interested in property, guys, you're listening to this podcast, so you clearly are. Definitely worth having a little look into this because it's called the 18-year property cycle and it will give you a lot of insight. But with that in mind, when do we foresee a crash? It could be any time between, well, I reckon we've got another two, three years of growth, maybe 2025, 26 perhaps. But uh, that's why we are still purchasing because we're pretty confident and just because you purchase on a bad year or maybe you purchase on the year it crashes that isn't necessarily a bad thing and it's not the end of the world um i i know someone who purchased the last crash we had was 2008 which was the recession now i know someone who purchased a property in january 2008 now granted they their equity became negative and it was negative for a good two three years it didn't get neutral again for probably two and a half years, they tell me. So they purchased in January 08. Then two years on, it took them a good two and a half years for that that equity that they put in, the buy-in price that they purchased at, to then actually see the value of that property being back at that buy-in price that they purchased at. Two and a half years. But they still, to this day, own that property. That was 2008. They are now made, just in equity, £65,000 in equity since buying in 2008 because they've held on and it's a long-term game for them. So as long as you're in properties, we always drum into you for the long term. You will not lose out as long as you do things right and you're not too silly. But again, that hopefully, Luke, gives you a little bit of an idea as to why we are still confident in the market, why we are still buying ourselves here in Cornwall, trying to bring empty properties back to the market and to bring homes to the the local private rental sector. But uh, James, what do you think on that? You'd agree, hopefully? (laughs) No, I don't know. My business partner? No, uh, absolutely. I I think I do uh, very much agree, and I I stand strong with you on the 18-year property cycle. It's a a great model to look at and to try and understand where you are within that. But if you look at, say, Dan and I, what what do we do uh, for a living? We are property investors and we are property developers. So just because the market is, you know, we're worried it's going to take a dip, what does that mean? We just stop working for three years. Be nice, wouldn't it, Dan? Mm. Um, but no, we, we are property investors, so the show must go on. I think there's a lot to be said uh, for the 18-year property cycle, as I say, but I think it's really important to buy very, very well also. So regardless to what the, uh, you know, the market's doing, which, let's be honest, you've got you know, you're not dressed up in a white coat and you're not able to, uh, you know, uh, manipulate what the market does. The market does what the market does, uh, if that makes sense. And you've got no control over that. But what you do have control over is fishing out the deals, finding out what vendors' positions are. Are they very, very motivated to sell for one reason or another? 
is it that they're relocating and they don't want to miss out on this dream house uh, up in Wales that they're going to move to from Cornwall. So that's why they're selling their uh, property at £30,000 below market value. Is it you know, an unfortunate scenario where a family member has maybe passed away uh, through old age or something like that and now their family are, you know, uh, pick, picking up the probate and they're, and they're selling the property. So I think it's just as you know important to be out there looking for these deals. But if you buy really, really well, even if the market's in a decline, if you are going to hold that property well you know just buy really really well and be at the bottom of the sort of downturn if that makes sense you've already bought really low and it will always come back round again it's not called a cycle for no reason so i think yeah the show goes on and uh, just keep keep watching definitely definitely and, and when it does get to the to the, the the danger zone i suppose when you have got two or three years of double digit growth behind you i would then start getting cautious and thinking right okay maybe we need to be a bit more very well, uh, far more uh, risk averse in terms of the type of building and where we are, uh, we're purchasing. So again, it's it's high value properties are probably best because it's going to be harder for them to to lose so much value as such. So for sure, desirable, very high value, really desirable locations. I think yeah. that's the good that's, point, that's where you want to be. Location is key because they hold value, don't they? Exactly that. And in those sort of times of market dropping and things like that, I think they're probably the best type of properties to be going for in those sort of times. But you need the funds to do so. So. Um, yeah, that's that's. Hopefully that helps, Luke. Any other questions on that? Please do throw them at us. So next and final question, James. I'm going to throw it at you, and this is from Jason in Wadebridge. Now, Jason says, "I'm about to start a full renovation on a four-bedroom house in Wadebridge. Now, this is where I live, but it's just going to be an investment. Should I use day workers or should I use a contractor? My fear is that if I use a contractor, I'm going to end up paying much, much more." Wow. Thank you, uh, Jason. Uh, lovely area as well in Weybridge. Used to live there myself for a few years. It is a very, very good question. Uh, there's definitely sort of pros and cons to both whether you use a, you know, a contractor or if you use uh, a, um, you know, a set of uh, day workers um, as well. But I think you need to kind of look at firstly the size of the project uh, that you're doing. So if it's a four bed house in Weybridge, um, depending what you're going to be doing to it, if it's just a light renovation, then maybe you might want to not think about using uh, a contractor. Firstly, because if you are going to do this soon and it's something you want to get straight onto if you if you book a contractor uh, that you you like the look of you might find that you're waiting up for six months some contractors we've been to haven't we down mm-hmm. there so yeah you know not a problem but we can't start for another year's time so do you really want to be waiting that's a bit of a negative there the other thing i would definitely look at is um you know what's your lifestyle at the moment jason are you in full-time employment and if you're going to be doing a renovation four bed house you know it's not a tiny house is it and i know what some of those four bed houses are like in weybridge quite large you know have you got the time uh, to be managing day workers so although you can give them the project um it's not like a contractor where they're going to take all the responsibility they give you a price and away you go um you will need to be you know overseeing what's going on and you might just think oh you just have a quick quick coffee with them in the morning before you scoot off to work and just catch up with them at uh, you know five o'clock or if you're lucky enough that they're even staying on till five o'clock um, you know it, it can be much more of a job than what you anticipate so I think you need to manage that with your lifestyle um, because I've certainly gone into um, you know single house uh, renovations and used day workers and I've actually ended up burning myself out because I've you know they really need they were good 
skilled workers, but they didn't have any direction. Um, so the other thing, and most importantly, I think we need to look at here is cost. Now, I think we've all seen uh, seen lots of things on uh, social media where you compare a day worker's work ethic against a contractor. You know, they've given you a price. It is if, with a contractor. It's in their interest to get in and out of there with the same quality of work as quickly as possible. Why? Because they still get paid the same amount of money and then they can get off uh, to the next job. So if they tell you it's going to be a three month um you know contract and they do it in two and a half well happy days for you because the project's finished earlier and you've got you what you wanted and they've got what they've wanted as well because they've uh, managed to get it done in two and a half months and they haven't got to pay someone maybe you know their guys for another half a month but with a day worker you can have it that uh, you know they are going snail slow and why are they doing that because if they can drag it out they're going to get paid more so another question i put to you jason is how well do you know your uh, day workers have you used them for lots of things in the past are they you know family members uh, that you love and trust very well it's there's all different elements to this for the contractors that i've used um you know i've gone on reputation and word of mouth for the day workers that i've used i've just Given them small jobs to start with on other projects, seeing that they're really, really good, and you get a, you know a lot of value for your money, uh, and then I've put them onto those things because I uh, I know and trust them. So that's the, the number of factors that I'd look at. But any points you want to add, Dan? And- yeah, I think nail on the head. Really, a lot of it comes down to obviously getting the right trades and the, the right people in. Um, depends if you need multiple trades as well, Jason, because it might mean that if you are going to do day rate, then. Uh, and again, for those who aren't, so when we, we say day workers, it means that we're paying them on an hourly rate or a day rate. So we're not saying that they're giving us a price for the whole job. They're saying, well, look, you pay us for how long we're at the property for we're doing this works. So again, that could just roll out of control. But what I like personally about a contractor is I know what I'm paying from day one. What I don't like about a day work is it could go on and on and on, as James has just illustrated. So if that was the case and you actually prefer the idea of day rate, then I think the key there is maybe is there anything you can use this or put in there to incentivize them to, to give a little mm. kick on? Could you maybe put a little deadline in there and say, look, if we can get it done by here, I'll give you a little Brucey bonus. Um, or it's just things like that you need to think about is, is what is going to encourage these guys to work hard and for you. Maybe you, you've got another project that you could incentivize them for and say, look, guys, if you can get this done by here, we can move you then straight on to this other project. If we're not done by this date, I'm going to have to look on an outsource and get another person or a contractor in to do this other project. So it's just things like that, I think, really. But as James said, there's pros and cons to both. And it all depends um, <coughs> on your situation uh, and what you can offer and what you can give to the bill, I suppose, and what you need to happen. I know personally, I'd probably want a bit more of a hands-off and I could mm. put the, a lot of the trust on someone uh, in a contractor. One, I know what I'm paying. Two, um, I can put everything on them in terms of, the problem you've got is you need to have a detailed specification in terms of, you need to make sure that they're pricing on a fair Good level point, paying yeah. playing field because you could have, I could get James in to come and quote me some work and then I can come, I could get uh, John down the road to come and give me some price for their work, but they're looking at the same job, but through different uh, glass sets of glasses, different spectacles. So the best thing to do is literally think about the, the building works that you need doing, write it down on a piece of paper, detailed, type it up, whatever. Give both contractors the same piece of paper, the same specification, get them then to price and compare. Because many, many times you see that one person will come in, price something, the next person will come in, price something, they'll both be out by quite a considerable amount. And you'll go for the cheaper, perhaps, and you'll say, well, yeah, but I didn't quote for that bit. So I asked you to. So Mm, it's just- Details. Yeah, the devil is in the detail. Make sure you've got it in writing and uh, 
definitely just cover your backside just to make sure you get the job done. Yeah, definitely. Some really good points there, Dan. And I think, you know, just closing on this, if you're going to be using, a, you know, a contractor firm to come in, generally you'll be paying probably somewhere between 10 and top end 20% more just because they're essentially being a project manager for you. Literally, there's the prize. They go off and do it. You can go off to work knowing that they're going to make progress quickly because they want to get the job done. But also just a little tip, if you are using day workers and you don't know them very well, let's put into a scenario for you, Jason, let's say on the four bed uh, renovation here let's break down the bathroom let's say jason has already bought it it's in the garage ready to go that's the bath the shower etc all the trimmings all the tiles but you've got the day workers that are coming in have that conversation with them go look i know you're sort of on you know day work uh, i think in my mind it's not going to take you longer than two weeks or it shouldn't take you longer than two weeks and i'd actually budgeted you know, £2,000 for the labour. That's based on 10 days, actual working days. Can you meet me on that? So suddenly you're changing the goalpost. You're actually putting the, you know, the day worker or workers in a position where they can't just go at their own pace, you know, because they then know that maybe you'll go to another set of day workers to get another quote. So, and if you can agree, look, can you do it for uh, £2,000? Um, then, you know, the job is yours. You can just, I think it's good to discuss numbers rather than just let day workers have a free license to print money especially if you don't know them not so they all do that but i have definitely been a victim of that where a bathroom has cost me a lot more than what it should have done yeah definitely and i think maybe breaking down the project into, into zones and areas and rooms uh, will they'll definitely help that but guys yeah. i hope that's helped uh, luke jason if there's anyone else who's got questions maybe off the back of those uh, answers or you've got it's maybe triggered something else in your heads that uh, you want a burning question answered by ourselves please do get in touch and uh, we would love to help Absolutely. Get in contact with us on cornwallpropertypodcast.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page there and you can send us a message that way or simply draw us an email on hello at cornwallpropertypodcast.com or reach out to us on social media as many of you do. But uh, as I always say, thanks for all your lovely questions. We love answering them and hopefully helping you along your uh, uh, property journey and helping the Cornwall housing crisis. Definitely so. Guys, look forward to catching you next time. Thanks for joining us. It's a bye from me. Bye from me, James. Bye.